Hey there, welcome to episode two of the Authors Read podcast. Each episode, we feature an author reading from their book. Today's author is Charles Kelly, and he'll read from his book, Crossroads. Hello, this is Charles Kelly, and I'll be reading a brief excerpt from the first book in my Outlaw Motorcycle Club series called Crossroads. Uh, Think of it as Sons of Anarchy if it had a sense of humor and slightly less murder. Uh, Crossroads is a first-person tale centering around an outlaw motorcycle club and an undercover federal agent full of bad dad jokes, cheesy innuendos, and dry sarcasm. Um, Basically everything you could possibly want in a story. Chapter 14. Dear Diary. Just kidding. Like I would start an official report to the DEA like that. Begin intelligence report. In addition to the latest occurrence of becoming an official prospect, this writer has also been approached by multiple members of the Kings of Chaos Motorcycle Club regarding the use and possible sale of cocaine. A patched member, road name Stitch, real name unknown, was responsible for bringing powder cocaine into this writer's apartment, and following a brief conversation with him, this writer was approached by the president, Riot, real name Riot Richards, Vice President RJ, real name Robert Johnson, and Sergeant-at-Arms Mac, real name Macklin McGillicuddy, to deliver a package believed to contain cocaine in exchange for another package believed to be payment at an undisclosed location and time in the future. A GPS tracking device will be attached to this rider's motorcycle and activated when further details are received. There will be no more progress reports in the meantime until this rider has returned from the exchange. End of report. Short and sweet. Since I had just finished a status report a couple days ago, I didn't have a lot to add. I was sure to conveniently leave out the information involving Scott. Until I've had more time to figure something out, I don't even want to mention his name in any of my reports. When I was confident the coast was clear, I strolled out to my motorcycle. Positive that Stitch wasn't around due to the absence of his bike, I quickly reached down to the tubing of my frame and strapped a GPS tracking unit to the bottom of my bike, out of sight from any casual observers. The unit itself was tiny, with an even smaller on-off switch that I could deactivate in case anybody's paranoia got the best of them and they decided to sweep my bike for electronics. Once I finished with that small piece of business, I secured the intel into the saddlebag on the opposite side of my bike from the stacked exhaust pipes. You can never be too safe, and I didn't want the heat affecting the flash drive or the data it contained. Then I hopped in the saddle and fired it up. Only just then, when I pulled into the parking space next to the bathroom at the gas and go, did it sink in how peculiar this scene might look. Why would a biker ever pull up next to a trash can and throw away a plastic bag full of trash? I couldn't think of a reasonable scenario where trash would be stowed on a bike. It's not like I would have held onto a wrapper from a snack that I might have eaten while traveling. Nope, I really didn't think this dropped through at all. Regardless, I tossed the unmarked, padded envelope containing the flash drive concealed in a plastic grocery bag into the trash can and casually glanced around on my way into the restroom to see if anybody was paying attention. Luckily, I don't think I aroused any suspicion. Also in my favor for the first time since I started this mission, I didn't bump into any other club members while making the drop. Score. After taking a deep sigh of relief from my first drop with no run-ins, I decided to make a quick stop into the tavern. I didn't want to run the risk of being in the middle of a shift when the time came for me to take off. Not that I really cared much about losing the menial part-time job, but having a bar in the middle of an evening shift with no bartender would be a pretty jerk move, and I don't care for the idea of screwing over the owner and other people that work there. So I strolled over to the guy that runs the joint and let him know that I would be unavailable for the next few days until I could return to work without affecting this business. Of course he had some questions that he would have liked to have answered about my impending absence, but we don't always get what we want now, do we? He's been around the block long enough to know not to get too nosy, whether out of respect or fear, only he knows which. Before I left the bar, 
I made sure to catch up with Kayla for a few minutes when business was slow. It was mid-afternoon, so there weren't many patrons left from lunch, and it was still a little early for the dinner rush. We just grabbed one of the smaller tables in the corner, and I sipped on a glass of sweet tea while we flirted with each other. Well, my intent was to flirt a little, but apparently she had other ideas. Without me realizing it, she had slipped off her shoe and was running her foot up the inside of my leg, all the while feigning interest in whatever I was telling her, acting like she wasn't up to anything. I played along and kept blabbing about whatever it was I was blabbing about. Eventually, I couldn't ignore her actions anymore and was forced to acknowledge her teasing. She tilted her head back and laughed, but she didn't let that deter her from continuing her mission of making me squirm. Luckily, or not, she was forced to knock it off when a new table of customers walked in. After she left the table, I was forced to just sit there and wait until I could start thinking with the head on my shoulders before I was comfortable enough to stand up and walk through the dining area of the tavern. Chapter 15 Wouldn't you know it, as I pulled into the parking space in front of my apartment, Mac was already waiting on me, lying back on his bike with his feet resting on top of his handlebars. Once he heard the rumble of my exhaust approach, he swung his feet down to the ground and sat up. When I pulled in next to him, he reached down behind the other side of his motorcycle and pulled up a plain black backpack. Here, you know the deal, the enforcer flatly said as he handed the bag to me. The only identifiable feature on the bag was a padlock, keeping the zippers from being separated to prevent the bag from being easily opened. Mac must have noticed me eyeballing the lock. Just in case you get nosy. This will help you get where you're going, he continued, handing me a GPS unit attached to a suction cup so I could fix it to my gas tank. It has your destination pre-programmed. Don't take any detours and don't waste any time. Get this done and get back here if you want that patch. Sure thing, Mac. Just let me take a quick piss before I hit the road. I was hoping to write down the address on the other end of the GPS before I took off. I'll wait here with the gear, Mac responded. Well, crap. There goes that idea. Oh, well. It's still not a bad idea to drain my bladder before I head off on a ride that'll take me who knows where or last how long. When I returned outside, Mac had already popped the GPS unit on my gas tank. Junkie made this run in four hours. Since this is your first time, you get five. Meet us back at the clubhouse. We'll be waiting. I simply nodded before throwing my leg over the saddle and sliding into the seat. I turned on the GPS unit so it could load, then I flipped the ignition and my bike roared to life. I slid my vest off, then reached back and stowed it in the saddlebag. Any association with my actions would be very bad for club business. To protect my own identity a little bit, I popped on a shaded, full-face helmet. Max sat somewhat patiently on his bike, waiting for me to leave so he could start the clock. I checked the screen on the GPS, then kicked the gear lever down into first gear and rolled off. It didn't take long before I found myself cruising southbound along US-79. I twisted the throttle and let the speedometer settle in around 75 miles per hour before engaging the throttle lock, which is a very crude form of cruise control for motorcycles. With my speed locked in, I leaned back and got as comfortable as I could for the next hundred miles. I roared across the border on my way into Tennessee when my activity suddenly became federal business, ramping up the severity of this whole situation. I was greeted by a rather friendly sign claiming that the volunteer state welcomed me. Good old southern hospitality at its finest. With my gas tank getting low, I decided to pull off and fill it up so my bike would be ready to go in case I had to leave with a quickness. Always be prepared. Boy Scouts 101. According to the last road sign I passed, I only had 15 miles to Clarksville. According to my GPS, though, I only had 8 miles to my destination. While I was stopped at the gas station, I decided to go ahead and drain my bladder again. Bumping down the highway takes its toll on you after a couple hours, plus it's nice to walk around and stretch your legs a little. 
Since I had a free second while my bike filled up, I reached down to the bottom of the frame and flipped a switch on the GPS tracking unit to the on position. When I mounted back up, I noticed more tension in my muscles and my mind wasn't near as relaxed as I had been when I was just mindlessly cruising down the pavement. Back on the road, I switched over to US 24 West for a brief minute before exiting and making a couple turns on tiny, barely paved back roads. Before long, I found myself tentatively entering a heavily wooded trailer park down the road from an RV park and campground. I noticed the grips were starting to feel slippery from the sweat breaking out in my palms due to nerves. My mind was racing. I checked the GPS and realized my destination was within shouting distance. I killed my bike and walked it to the side of the drive, thinking it might be smart to be a little quieter so I could get a better feel of my surroundings before everyone knows I'm here. According to the GPS, all I had to do was walk around a small bend in the drive and it'd be the third trailer on the right. Here we go. Let's do this. I slinked along the left side of the drive to provide a little extra distance until I had a better chance to scope out point B of my journey. First thing I noticed after finding a tree stump to kneel behind was a slew of lifted pickup trucks with tires as tall as my waist and a rust bucket of a Mustang. 1973 by my guess. Not a terrible year for the pony car. There was a guy standing along the edge of the small wooden patio smoking a cigarette. Several lights were on inside the trailer. I decided it best to wait until Captain Lung Cancer went inside before I approached. Once the coast was clear, I cautiously stepped out from behind my hiding spot and tentatively stepped toward the trailer. Quietly padding up to the not-so-mobile home, I leaned against the metal siding and listened in the best I could to the goings-on inside. Should be here any time now, I figure. Mail number one. Let's just make sure we're ready, came the voice of a second male. Without giving them any extra time to get ready, whatever that meant, I stepped in front of the door and knocked solidly on the flimsy wooden plank. Captain Lung Cancer answered the door, giving me a curious stare. I'm here for Dirty Mike, I said as confidently as I could. Last thing I wanted was for them to pick up on any hesitance on my part. It's just Mike, asshole, came a reply from inside. A second later, male number one stepped out from behind the captain. Who are you? Santa Claus. Looks like you've been naughty, but I have a package for you anyway. And I believe you have one for me, I stated instead of asked in order to try to keep an upper hand on the situation. The captain looked at Mike, who jerked his head in the direction of another backpack sitting on a small dining room table. Not coincidentally, it was identical to the one on my back, down to the same style padlock connecting the zippers. The captain handed the bag to Mike, who assured me it was all ready to go. I took him at his word, assuming he knew full well what would happen if he tried to get one over on the MC. I dropped my bag off my shoulders and laid it on the floor just inside the door. Mike tossed the bag to me while Captain Lung Cancer was walking toward my bag. When I reached out to snag the second bag from the air, the captain lunged at me with a stiff right jab. The force of the punch and the combination of being caught completely off guard rocked me back on my heels and my momentum carried me down the front steps. Awkwardly, I tripped during my clumsy stumble and landed flat on my back on the ground. The captain and Mike were both quickly coming at me. Luckily, I hadn't dropped the second bag. I got back to my feet as quick as I could, shoved the captain into Mike, slung the backpack around my arms and ran like hell. Get off me! Get the car! was all I heard while my heels were slinging dirt. I practically leapt onto my bike the instant I was close enough and fired it up with the flick of a switch. Thank God for that electric ignition I installed. I slammed the throttle and sent the rear wheel into a slide to get the bike pointed in the opposite direction. I probably should have thought about that in the first place and had my bike ready to go. No use beating myself up over it now. You live, hopefully, and you learn. Besides, if I didn't get out of here immediately, there were a couple of other guys more than willing to deliver a beating if they had the chance. A couple quick turns put me at the bottom of the on-ramp for US 24 East. 
With their headlights blinding me in my mirrors, I gunned the engine and raced onto the interstate. With the low weight of my motorcycle and the hefty motor, I felt pretty confident that I could leave them in my dust once there were no more turns or the threat of cross-traffic to deal with. Boy, was I wrong. By the time I merged onto the interstate from the on-ramp, the Mustang's headlights were growing rapidly in my mirrors. Before I knew it, the beaten and abused old muscle car was stalking my rear fender. That's when my memory decided to sucker punch me right in the gut. In 1973, the Mustang Mach 1 came with an optional 429 Super Cobra jet. Just because they let the body of this beast go to hell cosmetically doesn't mean that they've neglected the heart of the stallion. I couldn't shake them, so I did my best to block them and keep them from getting beside me. I finally got a long overdue break when I spotted the road sign for the US-79 exit hanging above the interstate with a half-mile warning. I stayed in front of the Mustang as long as I could with my exit coming up quick. I didn't want to telegraph my next move. At the last second, I veered off across the right lane and through the cross-painted shoulder. I barely heard the sound of screeching brakes over the roar of my engine. There was no way I was letting off the throttle, at least until I crossed the border. I'd like to thank Mr. Kelly for sharing his book with us today, and thank you for listening to the Authors Read podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to the book. If you'd like to support the Authors Read podcast, please like, subscribe, or share. Until next time.